As we continue our series on battle stations today, we're looking at forgiveness. And if you know that song by Sting, it talks about building a fortress around your heart. And when there's a division between you and someone else and you can't fill the chasm, how do you build a bridge? It's also about how we build walls, fortresses around our own hearts. And sometimes when we've been hurt, we build a real thick wall so we won't be hurt again. Other times when we disappoint ourselves, when we don't live up to our own expectations, we build a wall and we don't let people know just how hurting we are inside, how broken we are inside. And sometimes the walls we build to protect us from people out there are the same walls that wall you in, that make you feel very, very alone. And inside those walls, sometimes it's hard to forgive yourself. And so today we're going to talk about not just reconciling with others, but we're going to really drill down on how to forgive yourself. Because some of us have built up so many walls that inside we're punishing ourselves for something we did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Even people will say, hey, God forgives you, and you say to yourself, yeah, yeah, but I'll never forgive myself. And we think somehow by punishing ourselves, we're making up for what we did. And this next song and next story, I want you to... really show you a story of someone who goes from a sense of hating themselves, even inviting people to hate her, because somehow she, she's, she's paying for what she's done by having people hate her, to beginning to take the steps from hate me, hate me, hate me, to how can I learn to fight for forgiveness and freedom by learning to forgive myself. Let's listen. When I was 17... I was um, driving to work on a Sunday morning um, in my dad's car. The route I was travelling, there was a a very steep hill that I had to um, climb up, and there was a crossroad at the top of the hill, and on the right was a taxi waiting to pull out. And I got concerned that this taxi was going to pull out in front of me, and so I was really kind of fixated on him. And... um, he didn't pull out, um, so I, you know, passed him. Of course, with you know, because I was climbing a steep hill, my accelerator was pretty flat on the floor. And then, even after passing him, I was still concerned about what he was doing, and so I kept my foot flat on the floor because I wanted to pull away from him for no good reason. I just it's just something I felt I needed to do, and I was watching him in my rear vision mirror. And it was only when I saw him pull behind me that I then looked in front of me and directly in front of me, three quarters of the way across the road on a pedestrian crossing was an elderly woman. The question arose for me, do I have the right to continue living now that I've caused a death? After two years of being haunted by that question, I admitted myself for psychiatric care. And after 12 weeks as a resident, as an inpatient Um, I finally found um, that uh, the answer was no, I didn't have the right to continue living. And the reason was I needed to say how sorry I was personally to Margaret. So I very carefully planned my death and um, was at least partially successful. I uh, wasn't alive when discovered but was resuscitated and when I regained consciousness um, howled 
in distress and anger and despair to find myself still alive. And after uh, two weeks on a locked ward, I came to the realisation that if I was going to get out of there, I had to play the game. I had to learn to play by their rules, which said, pretend it didn't happen. Pretend everything is okay. Keep your mouth shut and just get on with life. And I somehow convinced them that I could do that. And then the next big change really happened when my daughter was 14. And I knew, and she knew nothing about this whole part of my life. But when she was 14, I knew I had to tell her. I knew that if it remained a secret, it would corrupt our relationship. And so I told her. And that then began the process of living more openly. The accident itself um, was something she was very able to, to immediately forgive. And, and that was really when I started to ask myself, am I ready to forgive myself for this? And um, one of the, you know, I, I, was, I was able to recognize that Margaret's death had, had given me the gift of realizing that life is sacred. You know, all life is sacred. But it took a little bit longer before I could apply that to myself, you know. And one day, I, I, I literally, you know, I, did, I, I remember asking myself the question, is my life sacred as well then? And, and it was a bit of a shock, you know, to kind of... And when I could finally say, yeah, actually, it is. And, and then I was also able to say, I'm really grateful that I was resuscitated. Because I think for a long time I hadn't really... Um, I, hadn't, I hadn't expressed gratitude for that. I'd been resentful of it still for, you know, for a long time. And then the next step was, um, can I forgive myself for causing such a violent death to, a, to an innocent person? Um, and it's still, you know, even now when I speak the words, my, my, my throat is tightening. It's uh, physically, there is, a, there is a raging resistance to, to saying the words, yes, I can and I do forgive myself for making that mistake. It was a powerful story of how a woman went through a journey a battle, really, to forgive herself. And over the years as pastors, we meet with so many families and so many individuals who are stuck. They're stuck with the voices of, hey, I just, if people hate me for this, I deserve it. Just bring it on. I'm doing my penance. I'm taking my spiritual spankings. I deserve this. And there's almost an invitation for self-punishment, an invitation for self-hatred, and a sense that they'd like to be free, but they're not sure how. And so today, I want to be real practical on how you can be free. And whether you're struggling with forgiving yourself, 
or you know someone who's struggling forgiving yourself. We're going to go real deep, things I think you've never heard before, on how to diagnose why it's hard to forgive yourself and how you can get free. In doing that, have you ever noticed that two people can encounter the exact same situation and in doing so they can have two totally different reactions? Like, why is it? Why that two people can make the same mistake and one's like, yep, you know, people make mistakes and they move on. And the other person just beats themselves up over it for weeks, months, even years. Why is that? What does one know? Is it just personality? If you have more of a melancholy, reflective, perfectionistic personality, you're just sort of you know, doomed to, to beat yourself up. And if you're sort of a, a, a sanguine, a laissez-faire, let things go, then you're free. Or is there some kind of skill? Is there some kind of truth that you can grab hold of to find that freedom? In the Bible, we have two people that made the same mistake. They both betrayed Jesus. One's name is Peter. He betrays Jesus so strongly that when a little girl comes up to him, in the Greek, the word literally that he says to her is, I'll be damned to hell if I know that man. That's how strong the language is Peter uses in denying Christ. And then we have Judas who betrays Jesus. They both do the same thing. And yet, after their betrayals, one will end up being restored to God, forgive himself, and become a leader in the church and write books in the New Testament, First and Second Peter. And Judas cannot believe that God could forgive him for what he's done. And he ends up killing himself. How is that? In fact, in the days after Judas has died, Peter stands up in the midst of the disciples and says, Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, was numbered with us. He was, he was one of our friends, and he was part of our ministry. But he purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, the payment for wrongdoing, and he died and killed himself there in that field. And Peter begins to explain to the crowd what it is that he was able to do to forgive himself so that people didn't end up like his friend Judas. See, forgiving yourself is a battle that occurs beneath the surface. It's not just some platitude. It's not just some bumper sticker. It's not that big a deal. We're all human. We all make mistakes. That kind of platitude isn't going to get it done. It's a beneath the surface kind of battle. And if you're willing to go into that battle and open yourself up, like the woman we just heard, to begin to invite other people into that journey, to look at that self-talk and that self-punishment, their freedom is possible for you. And I so want you to have that. I so want you not to miss any more days or miss any more months or miss any more years of your life because of this. So to do that, I want to give you three battle strategies. Ways that you can battle to find freedom for yourself. And in doing so, I hope you can find that freedom. The first step if you're going to learn to forgive yourself, is a counterintuitive one. But you need to identify where pride is flying the false flag of humility. Because a lot of people who don't forgive themselves, they think they're being humble. Yeah, yeah, I'm not letting myself off the hook, you know, because I'm humble. And if I forgave myself, that wouldn't be humble. So I'm punishing myself. I'm not letting myself forgive or forget because I'm humble. And, and I need to... to to take the punishment for it. In pirate days, if a pirate wanted to steal from you, wanted to take over for you, wanted to destroy you, a pirate did not come with a pirate flag, right? If you saw a boat with a pirate flag, you'd run away. Instead, they would put up a false flag. And if you were from England, they might put up a, a picture from England. Hey, we're friends. We come in peace. But that's a false flag. Even today, 
we use the term a false flag, and it's a sign of a deceptive measure of counterintelligence. And I want to propose to you, one of the reasons we don't forgive ourselves is because we think we're being humble. Yeah, I just, I couldn't forgive myself. I'm not worthy of forgiveness, right? I'm just being humble. Or we say, I've got a bad self-image. And because I have a bad self-image, I can't imagine I'm worth forgiving. And I want to propose to you that that narrative is part of why you're not able to forgive yourself. You think you're being humble, and you think you have a self-image problem. But I want to propose to you that this is pride with the false flag of humility. Because if you listen real carefully, and you've got to listen real carefully, that why you're really not forgiving yourself is not too low a view of your voice, but too high a view of your voice. You're not being humble, you're being arrogant. I don't say this for condemnation, I say this to help you find freedom. So it's counterintuitive, but stay with me for a moment. Listen real carefully. I know God says he forgives me, but I will never forgive myself. God's voice might be important, but not as important as my voice. I know you say you forgave me for what happened, but I will never let it go. And the issue is you're putting too much stock in your own voice. The voice is saying, hate me, punish me, I'll make up for this. And you think you're being humble or having a bad self-image, but the truth is that is a pirate. That pride is a pirate pretending that you're being humble while the whole time it's pillaging you. It's stealing joy from you. It's stealing relationships from you. And when, when, when Peter shows up to say his secret to forgiving himself is he had to identify exactly that. Here's what he says. He says, let me tell you, Jesus died and he died a horrible, terrible death to pay for everything I did, including my betrayal and my cursing of his name and my screwing things up. And he finishes talking about how Jesus died this powerful death and Jesus died for everything he did and says, I forgive you, Peter. I restore you, Peter. I want you to be part of the team, Peter. You're not beyond my reach. You're not beyond my forgiveness. When Peter finishes the sermon, it says that they, the people listening, heard his sermon and they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, oh my goodness, we need forgiveness. We need to forgive ourselves. What should we do? Men, brethren, what, what shall we do? And Peter says, you need to repent, which sounds like a very religious word, but actually comes from a Greek word meaning metamorphosis, like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. You need to transform the way you think about this. Transform the way you think about what you've done. I did something unforgivable. Repent. Transform your thinking about that. i got to punish myself because I'm being humble. No, no, no. I'm being arrogant. I need to accept forgiveness and trust that what God says is more valuable than what I say. Metamorphosis. Repentance. And when you're cut to the heart, it's a way of saying, I recognize that what I thought was helping me, I got a bad self-image, is actually what's destroying me. I actually need to recognize the false flag. I'm not being humble. 
by not accepting forgiveness or accepting a compliment. I'm being arrogant by not accepting a compliment or not accepting forgiveness. So God, I repent or I change my thinking about this so that I can receive forgiveness. I'm going to surrender is another way of saying repentance. I'm going to surrender, God, to your way of thinking and your way of doing. I shared this for the first time, I think in the 90s, at a group of singles. My friend Carol came up to me afterwards. She said, Chet, uh, that initially when you said that, I was really offended. I said, it's kind of offensive. I didn't mean to be offensive. She said, but then I realized I have tried everything else. I've tried self-help. I've tried counseling. I've tried working on my self-image for years. I never thought of the fact that I view my opinion of what I did too highly. And I view God's opinion too low. Tell me more about that. And we began to talk about that. And by recognizing this issue, she began to move for the first time, I think she was in the mid-30s, for the first time in her life to learning how to forgive herself by changing her thinking about what was really driving her forgiveness. In fact, metamorphosizing your thoughts is something that brain surgeons today and doctors call neuroplasticity. That you can actually change how your brain, even the physical architecture of your brain by what you think about. So if you think to yourself, I've got to punish myself, I've got to punish myself, I've got to punish myself, your brain will actually physically change based on those thoughts and you'll begin to think that's true. No one cares, no one cares, no one cares, no one cares, I'm better off dead, better off dead. You can actually get your physical brain to begin to believe something that's not true. In the same way, the Bible's saying you can also undo that when you begin to expose yourself to truth. In fact, Navy SEALs, when they're training, you know, they go to some pretty horrific hyperthermia, cold moments, you know, swimming to your, you know, all your energy is gone. And one of the things they train Navy SEALs to do is to trick your brain. And when it is painful and when it is horrible and when you're in hyperthermia, say to yourself, good times, good times. And actually, it's part of the coping mechanism to get your body, your brain can overcome your body by convincing it that something that is bad is really good. And while that may train you for the military, that may train you for overcoming bad things, the same thing works to your disadvantage when you say, I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive myself. I know God says I can. No, I can't. No, I can't. No, I can't. No, I can't. I deserve this. I deserve this. I deserve this. And the neuroplasticity of your brain is that pride has destroyed you by taking these thoughts and manipulating your brain so that you're not free. So the first step is a tough one. But it's beginning to recognize the false flag of humility. That's really pride out to get you. Our second step, our second battle strategy, if you want to be free to forgive yourself, is you're going to have to do some deep under-the-surface dive to recognize the submarine underneath your battleship. There is something under your battleship that is keeping you from forgiving yourself. So let's say you're a believer in Jesus, God, and the Bible. Not all of us are, and that's okay. So let me just start there, and I'll play it if you're not. So you got a battleship. And the battleship is, hey, I've heard the message of Jesus, I've been to Mass growing up, or I've heard a sermon, and I've heard above the surface that there's a God who loves me, who forgives me, who dies for me. You might even be a professing Christian who says, I believe that. If I gave you a Bible trivia question, you'd answer them all right. Way to go. Gold star. And though you say God loves you and God can forgive anything and God died for anyone and God died for me and God forgives me of anything, 
Even though you say you believe that above the surface, the people around you say you don't give yourself any grace. You're a perfectionist punishing yourself all the time. You don't live free. Why? Because there is a submarine in your life. And it is cruising along at the exact same pace as your belief system. It's just under the surface. And this is what you really believe. You profess to believe this, but you really believe this. And this submarine, this value system under the surface is where your real captain lies. The real decision maker as to whether you're qualified to forgiveness, whether you're able to move on with your life. Your captain doesn't captain the battleship. Your captain, the one who really drives what you do or don't do, captains the submarine. Let me give you an example. I'll put some submarines up on the screen. Just people I've been around over the years who have not been able to forgive themselves. I know God says he can forgive me, but I should have known better two years ago. I should have seen that problem coming, and I didn't. I should have paid more attention. And though I know I could be forgiven, my submarine is I shoulda. And because I didn't, I'll never forgive myself. And that shoulda is shoulda-ing all over you. You've been shoulda-ing all over yourself by that submarine. And that captain of your life captains the submarine, the should submarine. And until you repent or change your thinking and move your captain from the shoulda to the grace, you're never going to forgive yourself. Perfectionism. The message of the Bible is that none of us are perfect. Matter of fact, we are so not perfect that the God of heaven came and died for you because you're not perfect. And agreeing with him is to say, I'm not perfect and I'm never going to be and I need your forgiveness. And then you say, but I'm going to live every day as if I could be perfect. How are you doing on that, being perfect? Has that brought you joy? Now, in some sense, I bet you it's made you a better person. It's helped you in business. I'm not saying there aren't pros. There's pros to being excellent, continual improvement. But you've got a submarine of perfectionism. You even say to yourself, well, I know I'm hard on myself, but I'm a perfectionist. What you're saying is, I've got a captain... And it captains a submarine in my life that drives what I do, and it's perfectionism. And that perfectionism, that captain on that submarine, will never, ever, 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 ever let you forgive yourself until you fit the definition of you are perfect, which means you will never be free until you repent and move your captain. Losing a job, maybe your dad lost a job growing up, it put your family in a lot of turmoil. You said you would never lose a job. And from things outside of your circumstances, you lost a job. You let your family down. You feel like you left your kids down. You did to them what your dad did to you. And you told yourself the one thing you would never do is lose a job. And for whatever reason, it's not my submarine. It's not your submarine. But it's someone's submarine. And that's why they cannot let themselves be free. For so is it suicide. I talked to a woman recently. Her mom struggled with suicide. And she said, you know, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to have those thoughts. But never act on it. Acting on suicide is an unforgivable sin. Is kind of her submarine. She started going through a time of depression. For the first time in her struggle, she actually acted and attempted suicide. And that for her is attempting suicide was unforgivable. Because she was saying, I've done unto others what my mom did unto me. As I talked about yesterday, we had a, a funeral here, wall-to-wall people, because of a suicide here in our community. 
And I explain that suicide is very forgivable. And suicide is very complicated. Sometimes it's caused by biochemical changes in your brain that get you thinking wrong. Postpartum, menopause, puberty changes your hormones in certain ways. Sometimes it's thoughts. Mostly it's listening to the voice of evil. And evil doesn't come as a pirate. Evil comes pretending to be something nice. And that submarine is trying to sink you. It's trying to destroy you. I don't know what yours is. Maybe it's making your kids cry. I never thought I would do that. I never thought I'd lose my temper so deeply. I'm not getting results. I let people down. And I'll never forgive myself because I let the team down. I didn't get the results. I think that's why Judas commits suicide. Judas actually, I think, was a fan of Jesus. And he was actually trying to orchestrate the armies coming in to get Jesus. So Jesus would finally reveal he was God. And finally reveal he was the conquering king. And finally take care of Rome. And I think the plan backfired. Because Jesus didn't show himself powerful and didn't destroy. Instead, he went to the cross and allowed himself to die because Judas did not understand what Jesus' point was. He wasn't a conquering king. He was a suffering servant king. And Judas like, I this did not work out. The thing I thought was going to happen didn't happen. The opposite would happen, which is why it says that he repented and he takes the money he got for betraying Jesus and he throws it back at him. This didn't work. I didn't get results. And even then, I think God would have forgiven him. He forgave Peter. But Judas just couldn't imagine, based on the results he did and the what he did. In fact, one of his submarines was the big ones, right? You've got a big one. God can forgive little things, right? Here's the little things okay, little things okay. But you've got a list of big ones, the big no-nos. And you say you'll never do one of those no-nos, and then you do one of those no-nos. Whatever your no-no is. And even though you hear a message or hear a sermon or a priest or a pastor say you can be forgiven, your submarine is a no-no. And those no-nos cannot be forgiven. And no matter who tells you what, you will not forgive yourself. Because your captain captains a submarine. He was having a divorce because you said you'd never go through a divorce. It's letting other people down. If you want to learn to forgive yourself, you're going to have to go beneath the surface and find your submarine. And here's what Peter says. He says, if you will repent and change your thinking, let every one of you, this is an invitation for everybody, be baptized or identify yourself in the name of Jesus, the captain of the ship who wants to forgive you and put you up above the surface, for the remission of sins. That's a big spiritual word. Let me tell you what it means. It means for the freedom from bondage, the cleaning of everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's a clean slate. You're free from jail. You're out of prison. To forgive yourself is to experience the gift of God of freedom, remission, clean slates. And look what it says next. And you will receive the gift. Look at the word gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is a gift, but you got your captain down here. No, 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 no. I haven't earned it yet. I haven't punished myself enough yet. I haven't remorsed enough yet. And even though God says he wants a gift, you're trying to earn the gift. If you're earning the gift, it's not a gift. It's a, it's payroll. God's not offering you payroll. It's a gift. And repentance says, I'm going to accept the gift. Do I deserve it? No. You don't. I don't. Is it because what you did wasn't that big a deal? It probably was a real big deal. We'll talk about that in a moment. But God wants to offer you freedom. The remission of sins. There was a man by the name of Wayne Zenga. His dad started a waste management company and then started this little startup called Blockbuster. 
his son, Wayne Jr. here, decided he wanted what his dad had. He wanted the yachts, he wanted the planes, but mostly he wanted respect. He had it all. Built the company, things were doing well. But he felt like he had this hole in his life. He couldn't find that connection to something bigger. He couldn't find forgiveness for things. He knows he's doing wrong and became a bit of an alcoholic. He began to sort of just live for partying. One day, a couple of buddies has called up and said, Hey, you want to go for a ride in a nuclear submarine? He's like, I'll bring the jet. Where should I pick you up? I get in South Carolina, and they were going to head down to Florida. And when he and his buddies came to this nuclear sub- submarine, he met the, the captain of the submarine. His name was Brad Fleetwood McDonald. And he noticed that here's a man for six months at a time led men in the most dangerous of circumstances, and he said something very different. He saw something very different in this captain. He pulled him aside during the journey and said, Can you tell me, like, what makes you different? I see something in you. As he got to know Wayne over the next four or five months, he said, Well, here's my leadership book. It's the Bible. What makes me different is I have the forgiveness of God. What makes me different is, Wayne, you've got a hole in your life and you're trying to fill it with stuff, with yachts, and all those are good things. But they're not going to fill an eternal hole. He said, you're living out of a place of, of emptiness trying to fill it up. You can be filled up knowing that you are right with God, that God has forgiven you, and you are whole. Then you can enjoy things and own things without them owning you. And Wayne became a follower of Jesus. He accepted this gift of forgiveness he learned how to forgive himself for some of the stupid things he did. He began to prioritize his life differently because a Christian captain in a submarine taught him that the Bible and Jesus was the secret to life, something he never thought he'd hear, except that he respected this man for his incredible leadership. If you want to forgive yourself, find that submarine. Lastly, if you want to learn how to forgive yourself, you need to agree You need to admit, you need to believe that Pearl Harbor doesn't need more carnage. Let's walk to Pearl Harbor for a moment. Let's head to Oahu. Maybe you've seen pictures of it or maybe you've uh, been to Pearl Harbor. You come to Pearl Harbor and you're watching the movie and you're seeing what happened. And we don't call it the battle at Pearl Harbor. We call it the attack on Pearl Harbor. Why do we call it the attack on Pearl Harbor? Because we were not at war with the Japanese. So, innocent people, not at war with the Japanese, got bombed, got attacked, got obliterated. And if you have seen the photos, if you have seen the pictures, the devastation and carnage is unbelievable. So if you look at the carnage at Pearl Harbor, let me show you some pictures, if you haven't been there. The bombs... The death, the devastation. When you reflect on Pearl Harbor, when you take in all the innocents who died that day, what if I told you the conclusion is it wasn't quite sufficient? You know what Pearl Harbor needs? One more bomb dropped on it, then it would be satisfied. If there had been just two more bullets shot, then it would have been satisfactory. Wouldn't that be a crazy thought? Wouldn't it not just be crazy, wouldn't it be an offensive thought that Pearl Harbor needs more carnage? 
Yeah, if, if we could just drop one more bomb, then the carnage would be complete. One more bomb and it would, it would count. There is a Pearl Harbor in history, and it's called the crucifixion of Jesus, where an innocent man who did not do anything wrong, he was God himself, gets bombed and brutalized with a kind of carnage never seen before in human history. He's put on a scourging post and his skin ripped off both sides of him. Carnage. A crown of thorns pushed into his head. His beard ripped out. Carnage to an innocent man. Carries his own cross up to Golgotha. Nails pounded into his wrists. Railroad spike type nails. His legs twisted and pounded through his heels into the cross. He dies by suffocation trying to reach up and get a breath. And even that was the worst of it because he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the real carnage. That the God of history poured out on him all of the just consequences for everything everybody would ever do. Poured out on him. Carnage. For everything you would do wrong. Past, present, future. Everything I would do wrong. Everything everybody would do wrong poured out on him. Was that sufficient to pay for what you've done? See, when you say, I I guess I believe in Jesus. I guess he died for me. He can forgive other people. He can't forgive me unless I punish myself. Unless I don't forget this. Unless I keep hating myself for it. You know what you're really saying? Pearl Harbor needs one more bomb. Jesus was sufficient if he could just... If, if, if just Jesus plus me hating myself for one more week, one more year. Uh, Jesus you know, dying, that was pretty good. It was, it was really good, in fact. But it just needs one more bullet. And that's me really, really, really holding this over my own head for one more month and one more year. When you look at Easter in this Lent season and what Jesus did, look deeply into what he endured. Look deeply into what the Bible claims. Because often it's the melancholy among us, it's the contemplative among us, it's the perfectionistic among us who actually are more accurate than those of us who are more laissez-faire. Who say, ah, it's not a big deal, just get on with it which may not be true at all. What you did or what happened may be a really big deal. And you cannot believe what these sanguine personalities are telling you. Just get over it because you know it's a big deal. And you can't say it's not a big deal because it was. And people trying to psychoanalyze you to try and say it didn't happen, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal. That's not going to work. But I tell you what will. Looking at Pearl Harbor. Look at what Jesus did. And you say, what I did is such a big deal, and I'm pretty true on that. But what Jesus paid for it was an even bigger deal. And it is sufficient for what I did. I don't need to minimize what I've done. I need to maximize what he's done. And that's why Judas was aligned to some part of the truth. The wages of iniquity. Remember that phrase I told you? He dies in a field called the wages or the payment for wrongdoing. 
He recognized that what he did required a huge payment. I betrayed the God of history to the Romans for crucifixion. It would not have helped Judas forgive himself to say, not really a big deal, Judas. Come on, give yourself a break. But it would have helped him to say, as bad as that was, Jesus going to the cross was part of his plan. Whether you betrayed him or not, he was going to get on that cross. And when you look at what he's endured, he's enduring that for your betrayal. And if not yours, somebody else's betrayal, somebody else's unkindness, somebody else's ungratefulness. Everything's being paid for at Pearl Harbor. And if you want to forgive yourself, look deeply at what Jesus has done. Maximize what he has suffered and say, I agree. The cross doesn't need more carnage. My friend Mike grew up religious, grew up kind of Catholic and Episcopal and little things like that. And he said, you know, I, I knew I believed in Jesus, but yet it was this truth that got me free. I kept thinking that I could work my way, that God wasn't forgiving me. He was sort of giving me a second chance. And then I could kind of make up for it. God, I was worth your forgiveness. I was worth your second chance. And he said to me one day as we're sitting at lunch, Chad, I realized I cannot add anything to Jesus' crucifixion to make it better. And that's when I realized I just need to receive it as a gift. And that's how you learn to forgive yourself. You see what was paid for what you've done. And that's the battle beneath the surface. How do we battle these lies? And there's three lies I want you to battle. Three lies, and they're going to require time. They're going to require effort. They're going to require insight. But this is the path forward. Recognize it's not your bad self-image or you're being humble. Recognize that you're thinking too highly of your view of what's happened and too little of God's. Secondly, move the captain. Figure out what your submarine is, your unique submarine. And begin to take those thoughts captive and repent and move your captain to, I'm going to believe what God says about me, not what my submarine says about me. And then admit, acknowledge that it's even offensive that you're thinking that you have to to, to add to what God has done rather than just accepting his gift. I was talking to my friend uh, Mike Marker. He's one of our elders here. I said, Mike, tell me about somebody that... uh, has learned to forgive themselves the most in your life. And he told me this great story. One of the most violent criminals in the Hamilton County jail system, Bill Roberts, the sheriff says, most violent man ever in our criminal system. He was a burglar. Stole, 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 end up in prison. He got out of prison the first time, went back right into burglary, only this time he killed a cashier. They put Bill Roberts in prison, and he was so violent, they had to keep him in solitary most of the time. And he was just in the darkness, angry at the world, angry at everybody and everything. And in the darkness and in the loneliness, he remembered something his mom said. Jesus is the answer to everything. But he was desperate. He called for the jailer or the guard. Guard! I want a chaplain or a priest I can talk to. And the, the guard said to him, They wouldn't want to talk to you. He got a phone book. If you remember what those things are. He flipped to the yellow pages. Went to churches and he put his finger down. Faith Bible Church in Milford. Just happened to pick it. Wrote a letter. I'm broken. Here's what I've done. I can't forgive myself. And it was really haunting him. He's always been a burglar. He was haunted that he had killed somebody. He did not want to kill somebody. And this was haunting that he had killed something. Killed someone. 
The letter got passed around to several men at the church, one of which was Mike Marker, who began to write back with Bill and talk about Jesus. Not minimize what he had done, but maximize what God had done for him. They began to go and visit with Bill. And Bill one day began to say, the only way I can forgive myself is to acknowledge that Jesus died this horrible death to pay for horrible things, even what I've done. He began to move his captain to believing that even what he did could be forgiven. Mike sent me some letters that they corresponded with. He said, every time I went to see Bill, he just wept. He just wept. And he only wanted to talk about one subject, forgiveness. He just could not believe that God could forgive him. He was so grateful that he learned how to forgive himself. He even had some regret because he wished he'd talked to his dad before his dad had passed away. But he forgave his dad for some pretty lousy things his dad had done in his life. Forgiveness was pouring over. He worked his way through the system because he was in there for life that he became the, the secretary to the warden. And he said to the warden, hey, I'll work for you. I'll do whatever you want. But if you would just do me a favor, could you put all the new inmates who first come into the prison to room with me for the first six months? Because I see criminals coming in and hardened, hardened criminals coming out. I want to, for the first six months, room with the new guys and tell them how it can be different and how grace can change them, how forgiveness can change them, how you can be a different man. And for decades, he roomed with all kinds of young men to try and stop that return rate of 70%. And even when he died, I was reading the letter he wrote Mike, he was just so thankful that there was a God who paid for what he had had done so he could forgive himself as well as share that forgiveness with others. I want that so much for you. I want you so much to move your captain and to find the freedom and to not waste another day or waste another month. Somebody give you a chance to do that, just to pray with God, maybe in your own heart, if you're going to bow your heads with me, if that's helpful. Maybe you just want to say to God, God, I repent. I change my thinking. I'm going to trust your voice more than my voice. I'm going to believe that what you did was adequate and sufficient for what I've done. And Father, starting today, I choose to forgive myself because you've forgiven me. Give me the gift of freedom. Give me the gift of hope and a chance to start a whole new beginning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue this journey for the next few weeks up to Easter, I do want to invite you to one of our Easter services. We celebrate how that crucifixion ends in resurrection. We have seven services on Saturday at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. On Sunday, 8.50, 10, 11, 10, and 12.20. We had another service on Sundays. Complimentary tickets are available. That's just to get people in so everybody has a good seat and so we don't have overcrowding. Those tickets go available next week at the, at the fireplace. So if you want to think about what your family wants to do or friends, pick up those tickets. Thank you for being here. Go with God. Go in freedom. Thanks for being here.